Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. And Jesus is going to say this relationship we have with each other, it'll be tested. It will be tested. There's nothing to recommend a relationship with a fair weather friend, am I right? The kind that disappears at the first whiff of hard stuff. A relationship worth having is one that is close, fruitful and is strengthened by hard times. That's the kind of relationship Jesus wants with you. Does that sound strange? Well, before you freak out, let's join Dr. Corbett and listen in on the final conversation Jesus had with his disciples. No longer do I call you servants. Help me, Lord, despite my failings, to convey the wonder, the glory, the beauty, the magnificence of who Christ is and how wonderful his word is. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing through the, the last gospel series and the gospel of John was the last gospel, which is why we're calling it that series. And it's important to understand, I think, that the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, well, Don Carson says that they, they were never given Matthew, Mark, Luke and John until about the second century. Originally, they were called the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Some of you may have old Bibles that actually refer to it that way, the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark or the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke, the gospel of Jesus Christ according to John. And that's because gospel means good news. Jesus Christ is the good news. It's not John's good news. It's not Matthew's good news. It's not Luke's good news. This is the news associated with knowing Jesus Christ, or should I more correctly say Jesus the Christ? We want to, for those of us that have come to know Christ, we want to serve him willingly, gladly. John would later write in his epistles, the commandments of God are not burdensome to the child of God. In the same way, I'm sure every husband here would agree that when you got married, you willingly made a vow to serve your wife for the rest of your life. Every husband here made a vow to serve their wife for the rest of their life. Didn't you, Nick? Anything she says. Sorry, Nick? Mostly. <laughs> One day, James, you will make a vow to your wife. She won't be your wife when you're making the vow. She will be your wife that you will serve her, that you will do anything she says. Anything. anything. <laughs> An unconditional vow to serve. When I married Kim, she told me, everything you have is now mine. Everything I have is still mine. Because when you love, serving is not difficult, is it? Husbands, back me up. No matter what your wife says to do, it could be three o'clock in the morning. She can elbow you and say, as the garbage truck is coming down the road, did you put the bins out? You can do what some husbands here do, and that is fake sleep which is handy when you have young kids 
you'll discover. James, you'll discover. Or you could say, yes, dear, I'll get up right now, dead of winter, middle of the night. I'll go and get those wheelie bins and I'll put them straight out now, dear. Because you took a vow to unconditionally love and serve your wife. Is there any woman here who would not want a man who would unconditionally vow to serve her for the rest of her days? Pretty good deal. Jesus says to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants. And we're going to have a look at this in a moment because he actually calls them something else. And the amazing thing is that when he said this, he had exhibited his entire life as their servant. And he was about to lay down his life as the greatest act of service to them he was within hours of being taken and mistreated and nailed to a cross beam that was then hoisted onto a pole to form the cross he knew what was awaiting him he knew it and he still willingly went there this section of john 15 is a part of the upper house disc upper room discourse it's known as the farewell discourse because this is jesus saying farewell to his disciples after this night everything would change this night he would be taken in a few hours and john actually says that the devil does his deeds in the dark and that's when jesus was taken and tried he was accused of course of being claiming to be god that was the accusation and he did he did claim to be god he claimed to be god and for that and i've heard people say it was a mistrial no it wasn't he was tried claiming to be god because he did claim that and according to them, they rejected that. And so this is what I want you to notice as we fly through John 15. I want to give you the outline. I want you to see this as we get a little bit of a glimpse of the roadmap. Jesus is this, in this farewell discourse, this farewell discussion. The last words that he has to say to his disciples before he goes to the cross. At least one of them who had started to hear what he had to say, who then went out to betray him, would never hear Jesus again. So we're going to see in the first eight verses or so, the first, first eight verses, that Jesus is talking about in this moment, this is what I really want you to know. I want us to be in such a close, tight relationship that it's intimate. Intimate. An intimate union. He's going to talk about that. Secondly, he's going to talk about a fruitful union. It's a, if once, you, once you're in that relationship with me, your life will exhibit things that you never thought you could do. A fruitful union. And then thirdly, and this is, again, everyone who's been married for more than five minutes knows that when you make that vow on your wedding day to love, to cherish and obey... 
as every husband here has done, that it will be tested, often at 3am, either with a screaming baby that's just been born and a mother who's just completely worn out who wants you to tend to that baby. And the default response of a man who's made an unconditional love vow to his wife to serve her, no matter what she asks, Nick, is, yes, dear. And Jesus is going to say, this relationship we have with each other, it'll be tested. It will be tested. And this is what Christ is calling for. We've seen the progression through John's Gospel from the first sign to the second sign. The second sign, for example, when the nobleman came from Capernaum and he walked that one day's journey up to Cana where Jesus was, who had just turned the water to wine. He travels there and he says, please come back with me to Cana. It's a day's walk. Come back with me, please. My son is at the point of death. If you don't do it, he will die. And Jesus exasperated says this generation always wants me to do signs and wonders i'm not a showman and i think sometimes jesus said things like this to see what was really in someone's heart and this father said jesus i'm not asking you for a show i'm asking you for the life of my son i have no hope apart from you and i think jesus was showing the Father's heart to everyone who was listening to this. And he said these words. He's a day's journey away from Capernaum. He said to the nobleman, Go, your son will not die. He will live. And the father left straight away, believing. It says, he believed what Jesus said. And when he got back to his home, his servants came out and said, It's amazing. Your son's instantly recovered. And he said, When did it happen? About this time yesterday. And, he, and the text says this. He went from believing the word of Jesus to believing in Jesus. And this is what John shows all the way through his gospel, that people believed that Jesus could do things, but then they looked beyond that and saw why. Because he was who he said he was. And then he shows that people went beyond that like the man who had been born blind. And after Jesus heals the man born blind, he goes to him and he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the one who was once blind said, Who is he? And Jesus says this, and the day before he couldn't say this, but today he could. It is the one whom you now see. <laughs> As he's looking at Jesus. And the man who'd been born blind, who clearly believed what Jesus said he could do, because he went and washed the mud off his eyes. If he didn't believe Jesus, he would have said, who are you to tell me to put mud on my eyes and wash it off? Who are you? But he didn't. He believed what Jesus did. And after he received his sight and he was quizzed by the religious leaders who were outraged that Jesus had done this on a Sabbath because that's breaking their rules, not God's, theirs. 
And they said, Jesus can't be a holy person because he broke our rules. And this man said, well, I don't know about your rules. I just know this. Once I was blind and now I can see. And if you reckon that man isn't in tune with God, you guys are idiots. Is, it's reading a paraphrase into it. And that is essentially what he said. And that's where he meets Jesus and he goes from believing, believing in, to worshipping. And that's what happens to everyone who sees who Jesus really is and falls down in surrender to him, which is what worship means. And it's amazing that we can worship here on a Sunday. And I remember as a teenager when there was a move of God and there was some pretty weird stuff happening. And by the way, if you want to get a glimpse of some of that weird stuff that was happening not that long ago, can I recommend to you, Kim said to me, you better remind people, you better tell people about this, the Jesus Revolution movie. Has anyone seen it? One, two, me, one, two, me and Kim. Uh, want to see it, the, the village cinemas won't tell you it's on. I don't know how Kim found out it was on. I looked on their There's site. There's two screenings today. What time? Alex is shouting. What time? One's around 12, I think. And 12, will that? You ain't going to make that. No, one's at 6.40. 6.40. All right, so see Alex for... <laughs> I strongly recommend you seeing it. Because I remember, as I was going to say, growing up and, and in a move of God and seeing people in worship drop to their knees and lift their hands in just deep surrender to Christ. You might wonder why we in church lift our hands. Because if someone pointed a gun at you, you're going to lift your hands. It means I surrender. I'm not here to cause you any trouble. Well, you, can, you don't need a gun pointed at you. You just need to get a revelation, which means an understanding of who Jesus really is. And you lift your hands and say, I surrender to you. And we sing to him and we lift our hands and we worship him. And what does Jesus want all worshippers to do, which is the ultimate point of surrender for someone? What does he want worshippers to do? It's not so much do, it's be in an intimate union with him. If you've got John 15 there, have a look at it. If you've got a highlighter, you probably want to start using it now because this stuff is profound. And it says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. This is the seventh of the I am statements that Jesus makes. This is number seven. I'm the vine. So it must be pretty important for John to point this out. I'm the vine. You know, the other gospel writers record that Jesus gave lots of parables about vines and fig trees and other kinds of trees. And described, Jesus described himself in these terms. Or in fact, in the other one, in the parables, should I say, sorry, not describing himself. He described this was his expectation of who Israel would be. Israel was the planting of the Lord. They were meant to be the tree into which Gentiles would be grafted. People outside of Israel could come to know God by seeing the example of those who were born a Jew, born, born an Israelite. And in all of the parables that Jesus told about this planting of the Lord, vine, fig, whatever it is, where there was a crop expected, I guess off a vine you expect grapes, off a fig tree I expect you 
expect, I don't know, figs. We see in Matthew 21, 23 to 24, Jesus said, and there wasn't any. In Mark 12, 1 to 9, this tree is not fruitful. In Luke 20, verse 9 to 16, I expected this tree to grow and bear fruit, and it hasn't. And Luke 13, verses 6 to 9, again. In all of the references to Israel being like a tree, a plant, Jesus describes them as not growing, not bearing fruit. So what does John tell us? Not that Israel is the tree, not the fig tree, the vine. John tells us Jesus is the vine. He's now the new Israel. In fact, I would say he was always the rootstock of Israel. And now he's saying, I'm the vine. I am the vine. And so we have here every branch, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This is what the Father does to those who become worshippers of Jesus. Jesus says, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So you're able to do this. No infestation, no mildew, no sickness in you because you're in connection with me. And my word has made you clean, clean from disease. And so Jesus says this, abide in me. Jesus isn't just for Sunday. <laughs> He's for every day. Jesus isn't just for when you get up. He's for when you lie down, get up, stand up, walk. Jesus Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. As, he says, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you abide unless you abide in me. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. I remember doing one of the very first Alpha courses. We were one of the first churches in Tasmania to, to run an Alpha course. And I remember hearing Nicky Gumbel say that as a Christian, as he's explaining to people who are not yet Christians and to maybe very young Christians, he said, you need to understand there is something different about becoming a Christian from being religious, doing all those religious things, to becoming a Christian, as we heard Caroline say in her testimony. And Nicky Gumbel said this, we need, as Christians, the Holy Spirit. We need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He said there was once a, 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 a fictitious magazine article describing how many 
and Nicky Gumbel's an Anglican, many Anglican churches have said, God is dead. And the, the fictitious article in this first Alpha course that I, I saw, Nicky Gumbel read and said, uh, God is dead. This will be a minor setback to us, but we'll press on anyway. Thank you for laughing because it's ridiculous. And that was Nicky Gumbel's point too. God is dead, but we'll press on anyway. What? What kind of religion is that? What kind of Christianity is that? Not the true one. That's the answer. You have to abide in Christ. Christ has to be a part of everything we do. We are utterly dependent on you, Lord. We need you. We want to see every seat in this church building filled on a Saturday, on a Sunday, or maybe a Saturday night even. Maybe every time we meet to worship him, we want to see people coming. I was excited this morning. I, I came very early this morning and there were already people queued up outside waiting to get in. Because Thomas Ferguson, where are you? Thomas ran late and he hadn't opened up for the worship team. But anyway. But I, I left here dropping Ruby off and, and, and I thought, wouldn't that be great? If we saw people here at 8 o'clock in the morning queuing up. To, why aren't you getting excited with me on that? <laughs> That's what we want to see. But we can't do it without him. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And if that sounds harsh to you, it probably means your connection is broken to Christ. Because who would want to be cut off from Christ? Who would want that? We shouldn't want that, especially if we love him. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And this is the point. Jesus is now going to say, here's the test. If you're connected to me, you'll bear fruit. The kind of fruit that Christ calls for from his worshippers. This is where worshippers, we're, we're the ones, and I, I want to be in that, that category, who get who Jesus really is. And we surrender to him and we say, God, have your way in my life. And we abide in him by saying, God, I can't do this. I need your help. And you might be here and you might be thinking, I can't do this. Happy birthday, Beck. I can't do this. And I'm saying, if you are saying, I cannot do this, that is exactly the right thing to say. Because if you're saying, I will not do this like a teenage child, I'm looking for my daughter. Where's she gone? Hiding. Hiding. Best to really. Best to hide. Anyway, I'll find her. There is a big difference between will not and cannot. And if you're like me and you you sense God's calling you to do things and you say I can't, I, can't, I cannot do that. I just I'm not able to do that. I don't have the ability to do that. That's why you need his help. That's why you can do nothing without me. But if you're saying, I will not do that, I encourage you to change your will not to admit you cannot. Because with Christ, you'll be amazed what you can do. Christ calls for his worshippers to be in a fruitful union with him and that fruitful union 
looks like us. Living the way he lived and treating others the way he treated people. That's what I want to see. I want us to do that. I want this to happen in my life. The worshipper of Christ will enjoy serving Christ with great joy. With great joy. The worshipper of Christ will love Christ more and more and enjoy doing so. Great experiences of great joy. There'll be times when you, as a worshipper, will grow in your relationship with Christ. Even here on a Sunday, you'll be with your brothers and sisters worshipping, which is super important because if you can get the picture of the vine... You get that the branches come off the vine and they're together a part of the vine. And this is what church is all about. And it brings great joy. And there'll be times in worship when you'll close your eyes and you'll begin to see. You'll begin to see once you close your eyes. Sometimes having your eyes open can stop you from seeing what's really there. The Word of God says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You can imagine the marriage where the husband has just made that vow, unconditional vow. Do you promise to love, cherish, honour and keep this woman as your bride? I will, I will, I will do that. Three nights into your marriage, what time will you be home? I'll be home at dinner time at six o'clock. What time do you get home? 10.30 at night. What have you just done? You've just said something to your bride. That's not good, by the way. And Jesus is just simply using the same mathematics. If you say you love me, you'll obey me, and you do it gladly and willingly, and you will really enjoy it. You will really enjoy it, and you'll abide in my love as I have loved you. This is how I want you to respond. The things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. I want you to think, I just told you before, this is Hours away from Jesus being taken and treated brutally and executed. And he knows it. He knows exactly what's going to happen to him. And he tells his disciples, I am full of joy. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, For the joy set before him, he went to the cross. As we heard Lynn share this morning. A deep joy. Why? Because by going to the cross, it meant we could be in union relationship with him and that brought him so much joy do you know the joy that he experiences when he sees you walk through this door on a sunday coming together with your brothers and sisters to worship him it is great joy great joy you might just want to turn to the person beside you now and say you know what being next to you brings me great joy i'll, I'll give you a moment This is my commandment, Jesus said. And it's barely a commandment when you get this. 
when you get what Jesus has done for you, when you get how much he's demonstrated his love for you, when you get that he's laid down his life in sacrificial service for you, when they got it, they understood it. And so there's really no need to say, this is my commandment. And what is it? That you love one another as I have loved you. Sacrificial service of another. This is the kind of fruit that God is looking for. The next section is, is going to be talking about this. The kind of fruit that God is looking for from his children is love. That's the fruit. And what does that love look like? Remember I told you last time I spoke, there is some people who, I don't know, perhaps in a deranged kind of way, say th silly things like love is love. Love is not love. There's all kinds of things that people call love and some of them isn't even love. Some of it's lust. Some of it is like. I mean, it'd be more realistic if more guys, instead of saying to a girl with false motives, I love you. Yeah, right. Why don't you tell her the truth? It could be, I really like you. <laughs> That might be true. Say that. But when you say love, when Jesus says love, and the Bible uses the word love, it means this. I'm prepared to sacrifice my comfort, my convenience for your highest good. This is the kind of sacrificial serving that the Bible calls love. And Jesus says this. Jesus says this, what I'm about to say. And if you remember Anzac Day last week, you would have heard this at the memorial services, no matter where you were. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I think it's actually even etched on the monument in town. That verse. And when you get what Jesus is saying, he's not saying... Not just saying, die for someone. He's saying, lay down your life in sacrificial love. When it's inconvenient, love. Those people who interrupt your day and are annoying, how do you treat them, Heidi? I'm looking for the word love, Heidi. <laughs> and the fact that Heidi hesitated shows us how real this is because it's not easy now this is what we need to know as we look into this next section in john 15 this is profound and some of you as i was preparing this, i thought someone here needs to know this they really 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 need to know this is that you you are god's son or daughter by adoption luke mentioned this last week you are God's son or daughter by adoption. He deliberately and intentionally chose you. He chose you. You see, some parents end up with a child that they didn't choose at all. But when you adopt, you're chosen. I'm the uncle to three adopted children. 
They were chosen, and they were chosen at great expense. My sister and brother, un, uh, brother-in-law, unable to have children, and they went to great expense, and they chose these three, two boys and a girl. They chose them, and they are greatly loved. They are loved like they are their own children. Greatly, greatly loved. And the journey of these three children started when a mother said, I do not want you. And they were blessed and are blessed to have two parents, a mum and a dad, who said, we do. And this is really good news. No matter how rejected you feel, there is a God in heaven, as Lynn said before, a God in heaven who chose you. He loves you. He wants you. He chose you because he loves you. And Jesus says this, about his heavenly father the fact that he chose you it means that we're not master servant relationship we're in a closer relationship with that you are my friends if you do what i command you no longer do i call you servants he said for the servant does not know what his master is doing but i've called you friends For all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. This is how Jesus wants to relate to us. It's extraordinary. We can pray to his Father as if he's our Father. And our Father chose us. He chose me. He chose you. And there is someone here today who needs not just to hear that with their ears, but they need to hear it with their heart and they need to grasp it. You did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you you who now worship christ you are a selected member not just of a family but of the royal family the royal family not our royal family the royal family god is the king of the universe and if you're his son if you're his daughter that makes you a prince or a princess oh man thank you that was kind of when i was preaching this in my head earlier today i had lots of people standing and clapping and going yes i'll do it myself yes (laughs) these things i command you so that you will love one another that's the kind of church we want to be a church where we love one another a church where it might be hard to do so but do it anyway because it's not my suggestion (laughs) christ calls for his worshippers, and I'm using that word very intentionally. I could use another word that kind of believes that, it says that it's the word believer, because that's a rich word too, but I'm just going straight to the jugular. Worshippers, to be in and what? Tested union with him. Where did that come from? Because genuine love will always be tested and experience seasons of trials. And you might be an un- young, a young person unmarried. Someone, oh, there you are. 
Now I'm going to remember, I'm going to GPS that seat from now on. I know where you are. There are, what is that? You want to be married one day? Maybe. For my, the purpose of my sermon illustration, I need you to say yes. Yes, yes thank you, Isaac. And when you get married, Isaac, just, you just talk among yourselves or listen in. Either way, either way, Isaac, when you get married one day, your wife is going to annoy you. Do you still want to get married? Yes. Thank you. That was the answer I was looking for. <laughs> because genuine love will always be tested and will experience seasons of trial. I love you, darling, unconditionally. I love you. No matter what, I love you unconditionally, but don't ever ask me to do... What was on the list, Nick? <laughs> I love you unconditionally. And it will be tested. It will be tested. There was once when I thought Kim was wrong and then she told me she wasn't, so I, I made a mistake. <clears throat> you see, now Jesus is going to say, you can tell me you love me. If you don't obey me, Forget it. I know you don't. But if you say you love me and you obey me, then I know. But we need to do some things. And so Jesus warns his disciples that this will happen. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. What? What? About this point, I want to encourage those who do not yet know Christ to become a Christian. Because here's what, you know, we talk about the promises of God. This is a promise from Jesus. <laughs> if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But if you stand up for me, you'll be hated. Because you're not of this world, you're of my kingdom. But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember which probably means don't forget the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If, you, if they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. There will be people who even in the midst of this warning from Christ will still say, it's worth it. Giving my life to Christ and obeying the gospel is going to be worth it. And you know what? The people who say that are exactly right. Exactly right. But all these things they will do to you on account of me, my name, Jesus said, because they do not know him, my father, who sent me. If I had not come and spoken, and now he's going to refer to the signs that Jesus did, they would not have been guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works, the signs, the miracles that no one else has ever done, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen the evidence. Now they've seen what I've done. And they've hated both me and my father. There are people 
who hate God. You can tell they hate God because they say, we will not obey you. We will not do what you want. Or they'll say dumb things like, well, that may have been what Jesus said 2,000 years ago, but I'm sure God's changed his mind now. They hate God. Jesus said it. But the word that is written in their law, which was actually the law Jesus gave them, must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. They had no cause to hate Jesus, yet they still did. And Jesus warns his followers, this isn't going to be easy for you. You stand up for me, people won't like you for no other reason. They won't even need a cause except that you live for me. But, but, Christ gives those who are his, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the spirit of truth. But when the helper comes, verse 26, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And today, I want us to say, this rings true with me. I need the Holy Spirit to be the kind of person Christ wants me to be in the midst of a world that's going to hate me for no other reason than the fact that I just want to do the right thing by God. We are going to worship. Would you please stand? Because of Christ, we're going to sing this worship song because of Christ. And in a moment, you're going to hear an invitation to become a worshipper, to surrender your life, to join the family. Jesus is your big brother. The heavenly father is our father. And you'll end up with a whole bunch of brothers and sisters many of whom will annoy you, many of whom will make you laugh, many of whom you will discover will be the best friends you've ever had in your life. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select The Last Gospel, Part 20, from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, God is looking for a close, fruitful and tested relationship with us. The kind of fruit he's looking for from his children is love and the sacrificial serving of others. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again, same time next week, for another Finding Truth Matters.